Welcome to the Transit Lounge. I'm your host, Chandra. As a recovering workaholic, I want to explore how you can do more of what you love without burning out. I'm on a mission to promote true well-being, the contented state of being happy, healthy, and prosperous. Through interviews with savvy entrepreneurs, authors, and industry experts, we'll share insights, inspiration, and practical tips on how you can be CEO you in the business of your life. Let's go. Hello, Maz. Hi, Chandra. How are you? I'm, I'm great. Although, I'm, I'm feeling a little nasally, sinusy today, so if I sound a bit funny, that's probably why. Okay, well, I won't hold it against you. We can still chat. It's fine. <laughs> we can. We can. Awesome. Hey, thank you for um, jumping on and uh, being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And I know that people are going to love hearing your insights and your story. So thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for thinking of me. Yeah. So this uh, interview series, as I think I mentioned, is very much intended to give people that are listening some insights and stories of people that have made various career transitions or reinventions uh, who might be thinking for themselves like maybe they want to do something different than what they're doing now and, and they're, I guess, on the side of, of not having done that yet and feeling like, how do I do that? And so sharing other people's insights. And so for you to get started, what I'm interested in, well, obviously a lot of people will know who you are and what you do and what you've done, but what most people won't know is what was your first ever job do you remember oh when I was a kid like my very very oh yes I remember I worked at a Monavale Bush Bakery in Monavale Northern Beaches and it's funny because my brother who's older than me started working there and I was so desperate to start working and saving money at the age of 14 (laughs) <laughs> which is nine months younger than what you're allowed to legally be employed now that I know that. Yes. Um, I went and I asked his bosses for a job and they gave me one. So I started working at the age of 14 mm-hmm. um, at a bakery. Random. Yes. So do you know how to bake bread now? No, I wasn't baking. I think that actually would have been like highly illegal. Yeah. <laughs> in, the kitchen. in charge but of equipment. I was I was the shopfront counter girl oh, and so I service. had to have because I was so tiny I had to have my very own step to step up to actually be tall enough to use the cash register <laughs> and you know what's so funny when when you said that uh, you were working at the the you know uh, customer service I my brain straight away did say to like how did you do that See, you over the quite little <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and when I was 14, I was really tiny. So, yeah, I, it's funny. I just, from a really young age, I always, and maybe it's something my parents instilled in me about work ethic. My mum was a very, very hard worker. I just was super keen to start working so I could have my own money and a bit of independence. Like that's been in my DNA since yes. I was a kid. Yeah. All right, so much. I want to talk to you about that because I think that's a really important uh, insight actually. But uh, what I want to look at is you then ended up getting work in the media. What came first and how did that all happen? Yeah, so I decided when I was 15 that I wanted to be on MTV, which Look, if you knew me at 15, you would understand that that was a really ridiculous thing to want to do. (laughs) What was ridiculous Uh, about that? 
Well, firstly, MTV didn't exist in Australia. That was the first ridiculous part of the scenario. (laughs) Um, I'd only seen MTV when I lived in America for three months on a student exchange program. So Mm -hmm. I was watching TRL in New York City going, well, I can do that. That would be a cool job. I'd love to hang out with celebrities and interview people. And I like talking and I like wearing pretty clothes. (laughs) I'm like, this is like my dream job. Tick, tick. And so... From a very young age, I wanted to work in media and I had this very specific goal. But what I ended up doing initially was taking my mum's very risk-adverse advice and getting a, um, as she called it, a career to fall back on when I failed. Um, Oh, excellent. (laughs) Yes, I feel so much more confident now. And I know at the time, like I know now she didn't mean it like that. She was she was helping me make wise choices. Yes. But at the time I was super offended. I'm like, oh, <laughs> way to believe in your baby girl's dream kind of scenario. So um, so what happened from there is I thought backup career-wise, I'd really like to get into either journalism or public relations because I really enjoyed write, writing. Mm-hmm. So I figured out what my strengths were and what my passions were outside of this crazy TV dream. Yeah. And then I went and I studied PR and I started working in a PR firm, wearing suits every day and sitting in a little box outside of another box <laughs> in an office. Mm-hmm. That was kind of three years of my life, actually, that I learned a lot, but I I learned very quickly that that was not my jam. Yeah. And so, (laughs) yeah, what's great about that is that you, you know, you gave it a crack because I'm a big believer. And one of the things I've been playing with this year is taking a very experimental approach to whatever I'm working on rather than putting, you know, a high level of expectation of, this thing has to be perfect, it has to be right, and t- instead taking the approach of that clarity comes from action and that you actually often don't really know whether you will enjoy something or something's right for you or not until you actually do something that allows you a taste of it. And so you you did that, you sort of followed through and went, okay, I'm going to have a crack at this. And out of taking that action, you got feedback that told you, yeah, box in a box is not so much me. That's right. And you can't just sit on your ass and wait for it to fall in your lap. Yes. Like I wasn't about to, at, you know, the sweet old tender age of 18 and 19, like not work because I wanted some random TV executive to give, magically give me a job on television. <laughs> I was like, I'm somehow going to have to navigate this path. And the only way you can navigate the path is to put one foot in front of the other. So even if it felt at the time like a bit of a sidestep, it was still a step. Yes. And I think so long as you've got movement, then you can gain momentum. But he, I want to share a really cool um, story to encourage anyone to just take any step in any direction. So I love it already. I was working, so working in public relations at Bursa Marstella, this firm in North Sydney. And, you know, my clients were not the glamorous clients that I thought I would have. My clients were Feltex carpets. And I can't believe it's not butter. <laughs> really? <laughs> so not cool, hey. Um, but one of the one of my other clients was a tech client you may have heard of called Microsoft. Oh, just and a little little tech um, company. Little tech company. Yeah. 
And when I say my clients, I was the assistant on these client Mm -hmm. projects. So I was the very, very bottom rung. Like I'm basically doing photocopying and sending faxes because it was the 90s. So um, I organised this uh, event for one of our clients, for Microsoft, and the person that we got to emcee the event, I had to meet up with prior to the event to give cab charges to and make sure that this person had you know, a rundown and was all good to go. And so um, this person came to our offices and I met this person in reception and his name, you may know him, his name is Adam Spencer. Oh, good old Adam. So that was the first day that I met Adam Spencer and it turns out Adam worked on the radio. And guess what I wanted to do? I wanted to work (laughs) in media. So Adam and I got talking after the event and I I don't specifically remember bringing it up I, be, I believe that he just asked out of curiosity, so is PR, you know, the the main game for you at this early stage of your career? And I mentioned, no, I actually really want to get into TV and media. And he said, look, I, I do a, a breakfast radio show on Triple J with my friend Will Anderson. <laughs> do you want to come in and see how you do a breakfast show? And I went, yes, I'd love to do that. So I got out of bed at 3.30 one morning and I went in and I watched um, Adam and Will do their breakfast radio show and they let me read the weather. And that was the very first time I was ever on radio. And that was the day that I went, oh, radio. That's something <laughs> that I think I like. Awesome. Yeah. I love so much about that story yep. because there are a lot of people that will potentially hear your story of as a 14-year-old imagining one day wanting to work on MTV and then it actually happening and that they would kind of go, wow, you are a manifesting machine. But the reality, which of course you are, the reality is that the criticism that comes with a lot of people um, when they talk about the law of attraction and that kind of thing is that they kind of go, well, you can't just, you know, if, ever, if that worked, then everyone would get exactly what they wanted. But the missing bit often is people have this dream, this, this great vision of their future self but they don't take the action or any action to try to make it happen. But you you did and you put yourself out there to, you know, yes, it was the backup job for when you fail, but <laughs> actually taking some action and putting yourself out there to have conversations with people who have the potential to create some connections or opportunities for you. So you've got to still take the action. You do. And I think saying yes, is a really good response to a a situation like that. And I also had to get my ass out of bed at 3.30 in the morning and drive into Ultimo Mm -hmm. with not a clue in the world what I was about to walk into, but I took the risk and, and I didn't ask if I could send an invoice for my time and I didn't have an entitled approach. I I looked at it as what an incredible opportunity to have a little fly-on-the-wall moment of an industry that I'm quite intrigued by. And for anyone that does know my story, radio ended up being a really big part of my life. Yes, and that was, that I guess, the the opening of that opportunity for you. It it 100% was the opening of that. And, And it's Will's fault. 
<laughs> it's both of their faults because I had such a good time. I was like, this isn't a real job. <laughs> yeah. It'd be awesome. This is the kind of job I want. Awesome. <laughs> the other thing that you mentioned um, earlier that I just want to pick up on was that when you were looking at options of what you could do whilst you waited for MTV to call, you identified your strengths and passions and that you realized that you really enjoyed writing. Something that I hear a lot from people who are potentially at some point of crossroads in their professional life is that they just don't know what their strengths are or they don't know what their passions are or what their purpose is in life. What's your take on either how you approach that or what thoughts you've got for people that are trying to discover that? Yeah, what do you like doing in your free time? What would you do if you could just do it and not get paid? Mm -hmm. Just fun and and I'm not talking about posting on social media I mean social media aside what are the things that excite you about life Mm -hmm. and at that point for me it was definitely writing because I I wrote in my journal every single day and I would write letters to oh I wrote some weird stuff but I I was (laughs) just a writer it was just it was just how I expressed myself in my truest form and Mm -hmm. I thoroughly enjoyed it and I was like if I could write all the time that would definitely give me joy yeah and so I think in order to figure that stuff out you've just got to go and throw some stuff against a wall and see what sticks yeah nice and the things that jumped out for me about what you just said was looking at things that excite you and uh, the things that bring you joy because I think often people are looking for functional things and they are too quick to um, bring in the element of what will someone pay me for and I think Mm. that comes uh, is a secondary thing to to look at whereas if you start with genuine passions things that you would do by choice not by obligation I think there's a lot of clues in that what you might do with that there's many options but I think the starting point is really getting um, super curious about what are those things that you are drawn to in your own time or that you know that do tend to light you up and just to just to note that there is a really big difference between joy and validation Mm -hmm. and so when when you're searching for a passion or or exploring what brings you joy joy is a really different feeling to outside validation from outside sources to make you feel good about yourself Mm. and it takes a very secure person to go and seek joy and a very insecure person to thrive off validation yeah and I think it's such a good point because particularly in media from my experience in media everyone's uh, a narcissist And I, I think they don't realise that they are. And, you know, the, the, the whole industry and way of interacting with each other is very much about validation. And I think that's really sad and um, definitely, you know, want to support what you're saying about, you know, when people are looking to reinvent themselves, whether it's from leaving media to the real world or any other kind of change, to be really aware of those two distinctions of who, who am I really doing this for and, and is this about me or is this about external story? So, yeah, yeah. Good, good point. So then the whole media ride, then how did that all start to happen? Okay, so from... Um, public relations and my really sexy clients I (laughs) it was probably like I had a couple of years experience and I was like you know what I could probably go out and just freelance for a little bit which would give me some time to pursue going to auditions perhaps or 
maybe trying to network with people who I'd met at Channel V at the time and Arena, which was another sort of TV channel that I was interested in potentially working for. So I stepped away from full-time PR and I started freelancing and I just I just went and worked at a casting agency as well, just on reception, mm-hmm. just to pay the bills. And then I could duck out at lunchtime and take days off if I needed to go to auditions and castings and bits and pieces. So that was when I really started actively trying to get into TV. And then quite by chance, if that's even a thing, I was asked by a friend of a friend if I wouldn't mind doing my kind of reception job at a radio station that had just launched in Sydney called Nova 969. And I was like, sure, I'm sure it's the same thing. Like at the casting agency, I'm just taking calls and passing on messages and being lovely. I'm sure it's really similar in a radio studio. And so I I ended up getting my foot in the door at Nova on Saturday nights for free for about six months, I think. And that was sort of how I started at Nova. Yeah, so right. kind of randomly. Yeah. Free work for months upon months upon <laughs> months. Did they and pay you at least for the reception job? Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, and the, the, the cool thing was, though, uh, over time, people who I met really liked me and so then they told the people who were hiring people hey there's this chick and I think she's cool and she's got some time and so I sort of like weaseled my way in (laughs) from working on Saturday nights to being on the street team to then running the street team and then I ended up being the assistant producer on breakfast and all that was was me just saying yes showing up and working my guts out yep Wowzers. And so then give us the high points of then the trajectory from you weaseling your way in with your good looks and charm uh, to, <laughs> to, uh, to be, you know, doing all of those great things uh, at Nova and in, in radio. From, from there, what were some of the, the milestones that you hit that stand out for you now when you think back over that, that part of your career? Well, it's it's kind of funny to think about now, but I so I worked for a couple of years with two of the greatest comedians this country's ever seen, American Rosso. Yes. And I was sitting behind the scenes of how one of the most successful breakfast shows ever worked. Mm-hmm. And I had inside information every single day for a couple of years. Now, at the time, I didn't want to be on radio at all, but I ended up being on radio. And so what that did for me was instill this sort of like muscle in my memory that you can only get, and radio people would understand this by using it every day. It's like the content muscle. Yeah. And I developed this part of my brain that I still have where I think like a radio person. And that worked really well for me as a producer. It worked even better for me as a host. So looking back now, that was the highlight, is that it probably instilled in me this kind of success level in radio that I didn't know I was ever going to achieve or need, mm-hmm. but it was it was preparing me for that. Yeah. But also just... Some, you know, random chick from Warrywood on the Northern Beaches all of a sudden is American Rosso's assistant producer. Yep. Like, what the heck is that story? How, like, <laughs> how, do, we, how do we get from Feltex carpets to there? So it, even that, and, and that's not a brag, that's just 
that's what can happen when you just work your butt off. And yeah. and I just did. I worked. I've always worked ten percent harder than anyone I know, and that is just the way that I am. And that I feel has worked well for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then, what were the highlights for you of where you went to beyond that? So. From working on that breakfast show, I an opportunity came up, believe it or not, at MTV. Now, there's a surprise. <laughs> surprise! <laughs> so I, I've been waiting for your call. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I took a sick day in breakfast radio, which is so not allowed, and I, I'm pretty sure I lied to my boss and said I had a doctor's appointment. I didn't. I went and auditioned at MTV. (laughs) And I was so terrified because I'd never been on television as a presenter before. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea what I was doing, but I just had this feeling that I'd be really kick-ass as a VJ. And so I auditioned for this role and a couple of weeks later I got that phone call from MTV and they told me that I didn't get the job and I was pretty upset about it. (laughs) This was not in the brochure. Yeah, I was like, hang on, that's not what my journal said when I was 15. The journal did not say that you were going to call me and tell me that Jason Dundas got the job. Boo. The journal said that I was, you know. <laughs> so I was really gutted actually. Yeah. Um, but, you know, not such a terrible scenario to keep your job at Nova and having, <laughs> you know, a great team and, and doing so many fun and random things. So not all was lost, but there was definitely a little part of my heart that got broken that day, I think. Mm-hmm. So I kept plugging along. And then a year later, I think it was maybe the hours, like getting up at 3.30 every day and just working hard and doing split shifts and sometimes going out on to the night's crew and, you know, calling back into the station until like 10 or 11 at night. I think it was maybe that combination <laughs> of just crazy hours and working your guts out. I got a bit over it. Yeah, funny that. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I'm tired. (laughs) (laughs) And so I kind of just snapped one day and I I rang the guy that rang me a year earlier to tell me that I didn't get the job at MTV and I I rang him and I all I said was I left a voicemail and I was like, hi, it's Maz. I met you a year ago. I just wanted to let you know I would love to work at MTV in any capacity. I'm really passionate about the brand. So if there were any positions going, I have, you know, a resume I can send you with my experience. I'm currently working in radio. I would love to hear back from you. Nice. Yeah. I went, screw it. If if I really want to work there, I don't have to be on camera. I can make coffee. I've, I've done that for the last three years for these two clowns. Like I'm, I can do this. <laughs> yeah. He rang me back the next day and I swear to you, Chandra, I nearly fell off my chair because <laughs> I was not expecting a callback. Yes. And he said, and it was a bit creepy actually, he was like, it's interesting that you called me yesterday because I was just watching your showreel yesterday and I'm like, is that what you're doing in spare time? Watch showreels of like women in their early 20s presenting <laughs> to camera. Anyway, um, he said that a new position was coming up at MTV and he, he and his other producer thought I'd be really great for the role, so could I come back and audition? So I went back and did, an, did another sick day, saw another doctor, <laughs> went and did another audition 
And then about a month went by and I didn't hear anything and I was like, okay, well, we're done now mm-hmm. because I can't go through this again because it's too heartbreaking when you get really close to getting a, a job that you think is a dream and then it kind of gets ripped away from you. Yeah. Um, and then at a, around that time, so four weeks later, he called me back and he was like, oh, yeah, you did really well. We need to see you again. And I'm like, oh, my God, I, can't, I actually can't do this. You're killing me. Yeah. You're actually killing me. This is death of um, a thousand so paper cuts. Point, I was very composed. And I was like, yeah, Thursday, 10 a.m. Sounds great. See you there. <laughs> and so then I went back to MTV HQ and I got walked into a boardroom and I had a meeting with the general manager, which I thought was really weird because I was like, I thought I was here to do an audition and I'm sitting in a boardroom with, yep. like, a guy in a suit. Yep. <laughs> what is this? What's this bit? <laughs> and he said, I wasn't really paying attention to him because I've, I've got a bit of the, oh, look at the pretty light syndrome. So I'm just, <laughs> like, looking around the boardroom, not really paying attention. But he did get my attention when he said, so we, we are going to offer you a job as a VJ to launch TRL in Australia. And I was like, what? <laughs> Whoa, hang on. Say that again. Hang on a second. And he goes, yeah, we loved your audition and I know that you thought you were re-auditioning today but you've actually got the job and we just brought you in here to tell you in person. And and you know what I said? It was so funny because I was in complete shock. I was like, Nigel, well, I have a job at Nova. And he's like, yeah, I know. You're going to have to go and resign. I'm like, oh, oh, wow, okay. Oh, my God. And I just, it was so weird. The next hour of my life was a blur. Um and as they walked, they kind of walked me to my car and they're like, yeah, we'll be in touch and to go, like, you've got to go and resign now. <laughs> um, and I was like, am I getting punked? Like, yes. is this, this is not real. Like, this is, this cannot be real because this is legit what I wrote down in my diary when I was 15. Like, yeah. this is word for word yeah. what I wrote down. And um, they're like, no, we, we think you're awesome and, we, and you're going to be the face of MTV. So I sat in my car for about 20 minutes and bawled my eyes out and I drove <laughs> home and I told my parents. And then I was like, so, Mum, about that backup career, guess I'm not going to need that anymore. <laughs> uh, that's probably something she's so happy to have been wrong about. I think so. And it served such a great purpose in those early days when I had no idea totally. how it was even, like I didn't even know what MTV was, you know. So it, it was it was awesome. It was such a cool, I feel very, very blessed that I have been able to experience literally a dream coming true it's one of the coolest stories that I get to tell and and if if that can happen to me like there is no magic to it it's just hard work and being ready for those opportunities and taking them yeah yeah and and I guess having the belief in yourself to create the vision and back yourself to say yes when the opportunities come up and to put yourself out there because a lot of people would not have made that call and who knows whether they would have just proactively called you the very next day anyway but you put yourself out there and I just I think they're the moments where if things don't come to you easily or the first time it's almost like the universe is testing you about, well, how badly do you want this? What are you prepared to do? What are you prepared to put out there to, and I'll meet you halfway. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
And so then um, a lot of people, I think, would would regard, okay, the life of a, a TV presenter, you're traveling, you know, a lot, you're meeting all the celebs and all those kinds of things. Uh, is it as fun as people imagine it to be? Yeah, it's heaps better. <laughs> think of the best of the best that you can ever imagine and I topped it. Like yep. it was the first two to three years were probably just living on cloud nine. Yep. It was surreal. I get calls from producers going, hey, oh, you're interviewing Sandra Bullock next week, who's my favourite actress, and I like would just cry because yep. I couldn't even believe that I would get to be in the same room as somebody who I just worshipped. Yep. And it, it was hosting awesome parties and red carpets and MTV awards and flying around the world. It was bonkers. Yeah. And I loved every second of it and I made the most of every single second that I could because I was like, this will run out. <laughs> it, I will either die from exhaustion <laughs> yes. or, or somebody younger and hotter than me is going to get the job. So I'm just going to knuckle down work my butt off, do the best TV that I can and enjoy every single moment because there will be a day where I have to walk away from this. Yeah. And what did you, I mean, because a big thing that I uh, believe in now and campaign for is about true well-being and helping people to avoid burnout. So for you through that, as fun and amazing and exciting as I can absolutely imagine it would be, what were you doing to take care of yourself from a, a health point of view? Did you have anything that you were doing or you were just running on youth and adrenaline? Yeah, I was definitely running on youth and adrenaline. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, I worked out every day and mm -hmm. I've always, always been really into my fitness. Okay. So I partied hard and I worked hard and I worked out hard. And yeah. so my poor adrenals. I don't even think that's work anymore. <laughs> I think it's just like given up hope. But, yeah, I think I definitely had youth and I'm a very, very energetic person and I've calmed down a lot. So so when I was 24 and I got this job, I was the perfect candidate for it because yeah. I, I would not say, I would not go, no, sorry, I need a night off. I'd just be like, yes, yeah, wait, cool. What are we doing Can now? Can I bring two friends? Like, <laughs> you know, I was just this ball of contagious energy and that's what the brand loved that's yeah. what the bosses loved about me so like she just is a pocket rocket and I don't know where she's come from but she came in like a wrecking ball and she's here to stay yeah and we want and that, that that was natural for me that wasn't I didn't put that on and I didn't fake that 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 is that was truly who I was and how I operated at the time. Yeah. And so then radio breakthrough beyond that, what happened there? How did that transition happen? So I knew that there was a time stamp on my career at MTV and you don't want to be the person in their late 40s on MTV, do you? You <laughs> really don't. Yeah. Like sometimes I see people, I'm not mentioning names, but I'm like, you really shouldn't be interviewing Justin Bieber because you're 50 years older than him and it's creepy and yes. weird. Yeah. I think everyone knows exactly who I'm talking about after that analogy. But anyway, yes. very I discreet, Maz, really discreet. Like, all I'm saying is it's okay to hand the baton on and let somebody else do the job. Yeah. And, again, that comes from a place of security and not insecurity. Yes. And so I definitely had my challenges at MTV, you know, without going into too much detail, but I was overlooked for a job in America, which, which I really wanted and thought, 
that I was more than capable of doing, but, you know, the, the model got it and I'm not yeah. a model and all those things that yeah. really kind of deflate you. And then after about five years, I was like, you know what, I actually think I'm done and I want to leave on a high note because I've done everything I came here to do. There's, there's nothing here left for me anymore. So mm-hmm. I can keep interviewing the same celebrities that come to Australia every year because that's what they do because they release an album every year and they do a tour every year and all that's happening is everyone's just getting a bit older um, I can keep doing that, but the joy factor's gone because it's just the same old now. Yes. And so it was around that time that I I got back in touch with my good old friends at Nova and I said, hey, I am thinking of maybe doing some radio stuff on air because I've been doing TV on air and I used to work for you guys. I don't know if you remember. <laughs> Would you be interested in showing me how to be a radio person and I was really grateful that um, the assistant program director at the time was like yeah you know what if you came in here like we would we could teach you how to panel and you can do some overnight shifts and see how you go and so again I went from the heights and fame of MTV to working from midnight till 6am for no money three nights a week just to learn how to be a radio person. And I was totally fine with that because I was like, this is a set of skills that I'm going to be able to use. It's going to get me to that next phase of my career because the one that I'm in is wrapping up and I can feel it wrapping up and I would rather end it rather than it be ended for me. So that was a really humbling season of my life and it was three months of really hard work again. And then after I felt really confident paneling which is pushing all the buttons if you're not a radio person I yeah I was like I I would love to do some more stuff and maybe wind down my MTV commitments and it kind of so happened that was at the end of a year and a night show wasn't continuing and so I kind of got slotted in there and look one of the things that you said there about the MTV gig and you feeling energetically like it had run its course or it was going to be a case of either you trying to hang on past its use-by date or just be waiting until they made the decision to go, yeah, no, you know, hands up who still works here, not so fast you. And so, you know, you know which sometimes <laughs> happens. As you said, some people just they're clinging on instead of getting into that driver's yeah. seat of kind of going, all right, I feel like maybe it's time for something new and what I love about that is that it would have been very easy for you to just hang on and hang on to those coattails and ride that train for as long as you could but you didn't settle for that because you knew there was something more and you wanted to evolve and reinvent your next phase and I think that's where you start to go right now I need to look at how I transition from one great thing that on the surface and externally people may have been saying god you've got it all you've got the dream job and everything's amazing why would you you know leave all that to slog your guts out in a, in a slightly different part of the industry but I think for me that's what people do when they are actually taking control and being a leader in their own lives instead of just waiting to see what shows up yeah I think it's for me that was the beginning of living Mm -hmm. an empowered life it was taking control of what I knew I could control and making really good wise decisions and being and being I was okay Mm -hmm. to walk away and I think the day that you're not okay to walk away from something, you've really got to question why does it have so yeah. much power over you? 
And my identity, I think, was at a point where I was like, I don't want to be the MTV mm-hmm. girl forever. You know, like radio chick yep. sounds cool too. Maybe yep. let's nice. play that game. Nice. And so then radio career. <laughs> Ta-da! Here we are, Here we are <laughs> in radio like land. <laughs> yeah, radio was such a crazy journey. So every year I worked in radio, my job changed. I can relate to that. Every single year. Yes. You can relate to that. Um, so the first year I did a night's radio show in Sydney, which was a local show with a really good friend of mine, James Curley, and we had no support, no producer. I anchored, panelled and co-hosted and produced that show for a year and it really tested our friendship, yep. if I'm being really honest. It, it was a really tough year. It was a tough year in radio because radio is tough. It was a tough year at Nova because they were on the – Mm-hmm. Downswing, down, upswing, down, yeah. whatever. They weren't doing well. <laughs> and there'd be management change and, you know, conflict. And so tough year that year. But we got through it. And then at the end of that year, the bosses told us, common theme in my life, the bosses <laughs> telling me things. They said, hey, we're not going to do just a, a single radio show in every capital city in the country now. We're just going to do two radio shows that go around the whole country. So they split James and I up. They put me with a duo from Perth who had been doing the same, the similar mm-hmm. time slot as us. They flew those guys over from Perth and we did the late night show, which was 10 p.m. till midnight. And then James was put with the Brisbane guys and they came to, so everyone was in Sydney all of a sudden, but we had these two shows hosted by six people going out across the country. That was the next, mm-hmm. my second year in radio, which was really interesting on so many levels working from 10 p.m. till midnight every night and just navigating that was quite insane. Then at the end of that year, we got the the night, the team that I was with got offered a breakfast show in Adelaide and I didn't say yes initially. I actually said no way in hell would I ever go to Adelaide Yeah, that's definitely not a yes straight away. Then I had a weekend to think about things and I thought, hang on, Maz Compton, what is this attitude? What is this no? This is not what you do. And so I weighed it up and I was like, okay, I can always come back if I hate it. If I really, really, really hate it, I can come home, get another job at another radio station, whatever. It's no biggie. So I moved to Adelaide. How was that? How was the move? Because uh, there seems to be lots of moving around for you, but the move to Adelaide, firstly, what was driving the resistance, do you think? And then how was the move actually when you did it? So it was a big call to move to a city I'd really yes. only visited once to live with a radio team who at the time I wasn't 100% sold on in a job I'd never done before. Okay, so there's a few criteria. With there. none of my family yeah, or friends around. Yeah, okay. Like, yeah. Talk about stress. I, I was like all of the stress that you can possibly go through I combined into one single awesome. decision in my life. I was like, yeah, I'll go to Adelaide and do a show I've never done before with two people yeah, I don't really know. Okay. To just tick all those <laughs> off in one go. That. It was awesome. It was actually amazing. And it made me realize we're so capable, you know, and you just have to have a good attitude. And yeah, there were tough bits. I missed my family and settling into a new city was awesome because I did a radio show and my face was on a tram and 
it was really cool at points and then it was also lonely at times as well and and so you know that you navigate the highs and the lows I, I was really lucky that we had a team that was like a family and we did just cling yeah. together which was cool so that was my next year in radio then they changed the show so one guy left and a new guy came in but I still was doing breakfast radio but it was again with with Dan who I had been working with for two years at that point and then this new legend Shane who I just was fascinated by because he's so weird <laughs> so we're doing a breakfast radio show but with a, a new fresh person on, on the team and then at the end of that year <laughs> Dan and I got poached by Southern Cross Stereo, which was huge because, first of all, it made, it made me realise for the first time that I was actually yeah. okay at radio because sometimes you need outside interest to acknowledge, for you to acknowledge yeah. that you're doing well. And I think also being off everyone's radar, living in Adelaide, doing a radio show every day, you're still pulling yeah. the same hours. You're still working as yeah. hard as Fitzy and Whipper. You just getting paid maybe a tenth of what they're getting paid and you have to go and host the Housing and Bathroom Awards of South Australia while wow. they host the Arias. Wow. They're the difference. That's, that's the night of nights, it sounds like, in Adelaide. <laughs> it was when I hosted it. So the outside interest also, I guess it, in some ways it touches on that external validation that I think we all as human beings have a need for um, recognition of what we're contributing totally and I think there's something different about having that recognition come up every now and again versus being driven and seeking that out constantly and that's the difference it wasn't like I rang up Craig Bruce and was like hey Brucey what do you think of my radio show in Adelaide you know like he came to us tell me how, how good <laughs> yeah. I am yeah and that was that was a really it took me about four weeks to decide to leave Nova and to leave Adelaide because I was a Nova girl I'd been at the company on and off over a decade and I had I'm a very loyal person and so this really I felt like my integrity was being questioned because I'm like I can't leave Nova I'm a Nova girl that's who I am that's what I do I'm gonna have my career with this company they believe in me and then I was like but hang on there's this other company that really really believe in me (laughs) they believe in me so much that they want they're gonna move me back to Sydney so I can be with my friends and family again and they're going to give me a, a radio opportunity that it seems really a lot more appealing to the the little market that we have here in Adelaide. And so it was hard to navigate, am I being too ambitious? Am I being selfish? Am I letting people down? Or am I, you know, am I crushing skulls to get to, yeah. to get what I want? And as a genuinely selfless person, it was really confronting for me to navigate this opportunity. But again, I had to look at it as an opportunity and I was like, well, I could sit in Adelaide for another couple of years. And so we we went for it and we signed the deal and the exit from Nova wasn't yeah. very pleasant, but I understand why because yeah. it's a business. It also made me realise that the loyalty that you might have to a company, the company will probably never, ever have to you no matter what yeah. they tell you in a meeting. And the way you are treated on the way out is probably um, – like the core of how that company is. And so it made me realise a few things that I probably had misconstrued over, yeah. over the years. So it was it was a bit disappointing the way it was handled, but I also understand that it's corporate, it's business, and it's about the bottom line. And, and we were making a really big statement that day when we were like, hey, thanks for the opportunity, but see you later, bye. Even though it didn't 
end like I wanted it to. It didn't. That doesn't discredit or discount the awesome time and the awesome career that I had there. That doesn't undermine like the the, the great ratings results that we got and and the hard work that we did that I was super proud of. Yeah. That still all exists. Yeah. So interesting. So much more we could unpack about that. But I'm mindful of your time too. So you find yourself back. It's a long story. <laughs> well, you've done so much. I know. So then you find yourself back in. Okay, let me whip yeah. through the next little bit then. Okay, so I moved back to Sydney. I worked for Southern Cross Stereo with Dan and we started the Dan and Matt show. And um, that year it was 2013 and we mm-hmm. did a late drive show. Then we got promoted to do the National Drive Show in 2014 and we both moved to Melbourne. Then we got promoted to do the Sydney Breakfast Show in 2015 and we moved to Sydney. Then we got fired. (laughs) (laughs) And it's so so funny that, that, yeah, just sum up the last sort of four years in like two minutes. But that kind of is a little microcosm snapshot of what radio and media can be like where often you are very much at the whim of not just the changing industry and changing culture and technology and all of that, but that, you know, it can be these minor little um, tweaks over here that suddenly the uh, domino effect means that you're, you're suddenly like, oh, you're, you're, we now need you to move to a different city or you, you don't work here anymore. And so it's a very interesting <laughs> yes. industry that I think when you've worked in it, it can be a bit like the Truman Show and you forget that there's anything outside yeah. and it becomes, oh, it's totally. And I remember when I left, it was so interesting when I was sort of starting to almost like wake up that there's a whole world outside of radio uh, with the people that were still in it and the, the way that they talked and the way they regarded the industry as being just this, that's all there is. And yeah. I think also it's, it's, it's like a form of brainwashing, I think, for some people. And I don't know what it's like now. I can only speak of sort of my experience of just seeing people being caught in with those blinkers on and not realising how yeah. all these different manipulations happen. And then it's like your whole identity is wrapped up with this role or this industry. Yeah. And when that goes away for whatever reason, it can be incredibly devastating because if that you've lived your whole world in this bubble and that bubble goes away the question comes up often well who am I now that's exactly what happened to me yeah exactly what happened so I when I got the Sydney breakfast show that again was something so when I left MTV what did I write down in my journal I want to host a Sydney breakfast show and I, again, through hard work and it was not a straight path yeah. to get there. I had to live <laughs> in every other city in the country. Um, I, I got there and I was like, great, I'm going to be here for a decade. This is awesome. And, and everything that I was told about getting that incredible opportunity was that we were being backed in as this new team of the future and – and we had every confidence and we had every bit of support and we had a dedicated team and endless resources and we knew it was going to be a long game. Like we knew it was going to be a couple of years of chipping away and chipping away until people understood our humour, yeah. got our new vibe and then, you know, it would take off. And 
I didn't know at the time, but I I know now that in four months into our contract, we were just written off by the new CEO who came in and just went, I don't like these guys, sorry, want to get my mate who I used to mm-hmm. work with at Channel 10 on. So that was devastating to find out at the end of the year. I'm like, great. So I just like really plugged away so hard for eight months on a show that was already going to fail. Well, not it didn't fail. We were never given the opportunity to succeed. So well, I, I think I call, call it plugging a hole. Yeah. yeah. You know, sometimes yeah. and, and, you know, obviously the previous successful breakfast show had been Kyle and Jackie O, which are just a, a juggernaut. And the, when they departed, yeah. there's the sacrificial sausage show that comes as like whoever comes yeah. after that is like unless they're just pure geniuses and, you know, magic fairy dust hits them it's like tough gig and then you you guys coming in yeah uh and to unfortunately be just kind of like all right well we need a stop gap because we don't have another solution and it's going to take us some time to you know pull the levers and the strings to make things happen then until they find yeah. the solution and then it's like oh no you're you're out you know from them <laughs> without you know dwelling on it too much when when that all happened, what was going on for you internally? So interesting. I maybe like, I don't know, a month or so before, I think I'm just super intuitive. Mm-hmm. I had a feeling and I and I kind of, I would catch myself saying things like, you know what, if they let us go, there would just be no pressure uh-huh. on me anymore and that would be nice because there's yes. a lot of pressure. You manifested it again. Yeah, maybe. Um, So the day it happened, I was really blindsided. Like I was completely shell-shocked. And and then I went through the mandatory grieving stages um, and then I got over myself and I decided, well, I can sit around and cry about a job I don't have anymore or I can get off my ass and go and kick. But <laughs> and so I went on this real journey of self-discovery because the biggest question for me at that moment was who am I if I'm not yeah. Les Compton from the radio? And I didn't know. I couldn't answer that. So I didn't know how to articulate that because I'd done 12 years now of media and going from TV to radio and that's all I'd ever done. But I realised I didn't know the purpose behind any of it, so I went on this mission to figure out my purpose in life. And I think once you figure out your why, then the what doesn't matter. So as soon as I was able to articulate why I'm here, all of a sudden it didn't matter that I wasn't doing commercial radio and reading ads for companies that fundamentally (laughs) I don't agree with. That didn't serve my purpose. That was just my job. And so it would be really hard for me to articulate my why and stay in that world. So it was like I got kicked out of the club but I got like booted into this brand-new stratosphere where radio is not even a blimp on the dial. And so I know people that are listening will be really curious because that question of like what is my purpose, what am I here to do, Uh, will be curious about what actually did you do to start to get clarity around that for yourself at that point in my life I'd actually stopped drinking Mm -hmm. the year before so January 1st 2015 I stopped drinking alcohol and that 
gave me a, a huge sense of clarity that I hadn't been privy to before because I was yes. hung over a lot. <laughs> and so I think it was the, a combination of that length of time of clarity and doing that self-work. I picked up a book called Start With Why by Simon Sinek mm-hmm. and I also read a book called Something, Purpose, Something, Purpose Driven Life by <laughs> <Yes>. Rick Warren. <laughs> Um, and that helped me to kind of really drill down into my purpose. And to be fair, and I can only say this now because I've done the journey, I think a lot of people are really hung up on like, what's my purpose in life? Yeah. Just make it up. Yeah. What do you want to do? It's not this big ethereal universal mystery that you've got to unpack the Pandora's box of. It's just figure out what it is in your life that you want to do and then go and do that. And so for me, I... I worked out that I am at my absolute best when I'm empowering other people yeah. to make great choices. That is what I do really, really well and it's what I get the most amount of joy from. Whether that is writing a book, opening a gym or doing podcasts, whatever it is, so long as it's ticking that box for me, I'm good and I do it now. Yeah. And so like commercial radio really doesn't. For me, like it was really fun interviewing Channing Tatum. It was great, but I don't know how many people it empowered. Yeah, and look, these are the things where I'm so glad that you said that because I totally agree that there's this flawed hang-up that we have about finding that one true purpose and I actually believe that it comes down to your purpose is to get to know yourself as best as you possibly can and to be the best version of you in whatever you're doing. And and often people overlap what they do as a job or a career as their purpose, but I don't see it that way. That is that is just one way to express who you are, but it's not who you actually are. And so I think, and also it, yeah. I think our purpose makes sense in hindsight. So for you, if you look backwards, we've just been sort of doing the, you know, this is your life of mass. Uh, but, but looking back, you can see there's through lines around communication. There's through lines around passion about, you know, finding your joy, saying yes, you know, taking action, like all of these things that you can kind of go, well, it makes sense that I'm going to, I'm still drawing on um, these passions that I have. But sometimes when you try to look for that straight line ahead, it isn't straight. But when you look back, you can see the themes, but you can only do that if you've taken some kind of action aligned to where, where, where are you feeling called? What is it that feels like, oh, this seems like a good choice for me. It may not be the end game, but for right now, this is what I'm going to be exploring. That's what I really want for people who listen to this podcast or that work with me in whatever capacity is to see that to find out enough about themselves their own reality their highest values what's most important to them and to live and align their life around that and let the career be part of expressing that not try to you know do it the other way around and I found it's nine times out of ten the harder choice so what whatever choices you're faced with the harder one is the one that's going to get you closer to that goal and you know just by way of example when I left radio um, it would have been really easy for me to accept a couple of job offers that yeah. I got quite immediately. But I, once I'd figured out that purpose, I was like, it would be so easy to go back and do what I've already done because yeah. I know how to do it. And 
there's nothing there left for me. So why would I go backwards when I can go forwards? And that was a hard choice because it meant letting go of my identity in radio. And not that I care so much about people's opinions, but two and a bit years ago, I really did. And it meant feeling like a failure. And it meant being okay with other people thinking that I'd failed. And when I think you can resolve that sort of stuff by doing the self-work, that's when you're in a really good place. Because again, that's when you are living from an empowered place rather than at the whim of other people's choices or being flavor of the month for that month, but then that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And so then what was the next transition for you? So you've got the universal boot from the radio. So it's choice is taken off your hands and you you just, you don't have a job anymore. Uh, And you go through all of the processing of that and resist the temptation of the easy road of quick job offers of people that can see that you can plug another hole they've got but you chose a different path. What happened at that stage for you? So midway through um, that year on Sydney Breakfast, my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, um, we bought a business together and the plan was that he was going to run the business in 2016 and it just turned out that I had a lot more free time on my hands than he did in 2016. (laughs) So I set up a gym, an F45 franchise, and I ran it for the first few months. I've never run a business before. I figured it out. (laughs) And that was a whole different world for me, but a really great one. So I just threw myself into something that I knew was going to help and empower people. And we've built an incredible community of like-minded people up in Avalon where our studio is and the business is still going strong so I just threw myself into something that would was set up mid 2015 which again like was that a accident mm. I don't know was that me subconsciously preparing myself I don't know it, it's a very odd choice to make midway through a breakfast career to go oh, I'm gonna start a side business with my boyfriend <laughs> but we did so was the, the gym franchise opportunity, was that something that was more driven by that was his kind of jam and you've always been into fitness so and so it was like, oh, yeah, great, or was it something that you, you know, felt may have been a longer game for you or how did you approach that? Initially it wasn't for me to run. It was just basically yeah. for me to fund yes. <laughs> and for him to run. So he'd been in building for 10 years and was like, I'm ready for a change and, and he's always loved fitness. He's great with people and it just made sense. And so I was like, we can do this. I, I can I can get this business. We can set it all up. It's all good. You can run it. Yeah. All, all easy. Like we were both super keen to do that. And I at the time was like, you are going to have to run this, buddy, because I am really busy getting up at 3.37 yes. in the morning. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, things changed. And so I just threw myself into that circling way back to my passion in writing I found that I had a lot of free time on my hands when I wasn't running a business and so I started writing again and I've written two books now which has been awesome I now get to live my dreams out where I think I said 45 minutes ago um you know my ultimate lifestyle would be if I could just write every day and yeah that's what I do and now. so what is an what does an average week look like for you now well, I sleep in a lot. Awesome. Because um, <laughs> 5am is a sleep in when you've done breakfast radio, Chandra. And so I feel very rested. Every day is different. It's cool. I always say I don't go to work. I just get mm-hmm. to do what I'm passionate about. And so I have like a really nice spread of um, 
interacting with clients and taking classes at the gym because I got my certs in fitness. Nice. So that's, that ticks a really huge box of helping people make great lifestyle decisions. And so, yeah, so running, running the business, even though we've got great staff, I, I'm still mm-hmm. quite hands-on, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Then I'm, I just released my second book this year, The Social Rebellion, which was my whole story on why I decided to stop drinking and how I think there's a bit of a drinking issue in our culture and I'm trying to single-handedly reverse that. So there is a number of things involved in, in formulating that as a business um, but also it's practical things like people order my book from my website and I have to go down to the yes. post office and post it yeah. to them and stuff like that. So that takes up a chunk of my day. And, um, I, yeah, I sort of plan my week out and I do, you know, a, a bit of stuff at the gym and then a bit, of, a bit of the necessary stuff on the business and then I'm writing for News Corp and a few other places and doing whatever I want really. Nice. And so I love it. And so when people ask you, so what do you do? How do you answer that question? I say, do you know what a better question would be is what am I passionate about? Because I can answer that. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have a number of strings to your bow. So here's what I think I, I know about the things that you do. One is you own a couple of gyms, F45 gyms. You yep. are an author with yep. two awesome books. And we'll talk about where people can buy those in a second. Uh, You write for other publications. You are a speaker, MC, host extraordinaire. Uh, Sure. And uh, is there something else? I feel like there's something I've missed. It does a wife. Does that count? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's. I don't think it's a revenue stream though, so we don't count that one. Awesome. (laughs) amazing wife awesome amazing <laughs> wife and aspirational stepmother and aspirational stepmother I yeah. am there's, there's a lot it's but busy. it's interesting because I for so long when that question would come up when people would go so what do you do like you, you know you meet someone for the first time and it's like yes. so what do you do it's the first thing we ask people and I would always go I work in radio and they'd be like oh my god that's so amazing have you met Jay-Z yeah and, <laughs> and so I didn't love that question because we just end up talking about my career yes. and not getting to know me yep. and me not being able to connect with this person because it was like this big block because it felt so glamorous and amazing. Yeah. And now I feel like I can really talk to people. And so that's when, when they say, like, what do you do? I'm like, better question would be what am I passionate about? Because I'm passionate about empowering people to be better humans and make better choices. And there's a few different ways that I do that. And I go through what you just recited that I do and so for me that will probably all change a hundred times and I'm so fine with that yeah so long as the expression of the what is resonating with the why I don't actually care yeah so if that means just being an epic wife and stepmom great if that I'm empowering two tiny humans every time I see them Awesome. That's yeah. exactly what I want. And something you said in that um, made me think about that whole identity that when, and it's not just applicable to people that work in media, it's people who really attach to their role. Uh, and I see this in lots of different industries, whether they are a, you know, a lawyer or an accountant or whatever, there's so much attachment to that identity with the role they have. And I feel like much um, in a similar way to, how alcohol has just infused itself into our culture, I feel like that question of, so what do you do, is a default question that 
um, reiterates the fact that who you are is what you do. And do you know what I mean? Like when that question comes up, you find yourself talking about your job instead of talking about you. And no, it's no wonder that we end up convincing ourselves that who we are is what we do. That's it. Yeah. That's exactly right. So I'm going to ask you a question which some people find a little bit uncomfortable, but we'll just see how this rolls. Okay. Well, I am wearing pants. Great. So if that was it. A very good start. No, the question is about going through all these different transitions and you have had a number of transition points, even if we go back from bakery job and then PR job and, you know, all, all the way through. What part and influence did money and your relationship with money have in the various transition points for you professionally? That's a really good question. So I have never been driven by money because I'm not a things person. Mm -hmm. I'm an experiences person, which is just as well because one day my salary went from a figure with a lot of zeros at the end of it to just one zero. And that was really hard. Yes. And it would have been really a lot harder if I was attached to that number or if my self-value and self-worth was intertwined in that number. Yes. But for me, I just found it comical how much money I earn at one point in my life. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is just insane. Yep. These people are mad. They're giving me all this money. And I would literally do this for free because I flip and love it. Yep. So money's never been a driver. I've always been very responsible with my money too. So I've always had a savings plan and I've always, I've sometimes taken a second job or upskilled by working for free in order to make sure that there is going to be an income. Yeah. I think I've got a really great relationship with money and I, I learned from a very young age that it doesn't make you happy, probably without going into it, but what my family went through financially, I think gave me a real reality check on what can happen if you do get a little bit too driven by or obsessed with money. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, and the other thing for me is that my friendships have never been about anything financial. So I I didn't, like, gravitate towards people in the industry that I was meeting for five seconds because they had loads of money because I just didn't care at all. Yeah. Um, The friends that I've had... I've known since we were earning $8 an hour and at the bakery. eating out of cans of baked beans yeah. and not being able to afford things. Yeah. And, and now some of my friends are loaded, um, but we still have a really rock-solid friendship and, and we, don't, we don't do crazy stuff. You know, I just think I, I've always had a really level head and it's probably, it's probably much to do with that my mum's risk-adverse nature mm-hmm. which is you know she was the one encouraging me to have a savings plan and try and invest in a property if you can and you know all of that stuff and and I but I really think like the way to figure out your relationship with money is to wake up and and not earn any one day because that's that's what happened to me yeah. and I was like well just as well I've got that savings plan in place <laughs> yeah and look the the reason I ask when I'm in this series I've been asking all the podcast guests this because number one it is something that people often don't talk about but it is probably the thing that holds people back from initiating change in their professional life more than anything else 
So yeah. because they feel like, especially if they've been successful in what they're doing and earning a good salary, that then they, there's something else they really would rather do or, or they're on the road to burnout in what they're currently doing or they're just not satisfied or they're bored with the same old busyness like you of going, oh, yeah, we, I can interview the same artists year after year, but it's same old, same old. But when people get to a certain point, they start to go, well, if I can't earn the same amount of money straight away in doing something new, then I shouldn't leave. And yeah. that, that guy, then you'll never leave. You'll never leave. It is golden never. handcuffs, which is there's a whole nother podcast episode I recorded about that. And that's the bit where I am really passionate about helping people to start to see that it's not about being obsessed with money or driven by money. It's actually about seeing money as a tool that gives you choice and that, you know, having a responsible approach to your money, especially when you're earning good money of going, okay, I'm going to have savings accounts. I'm creating some cash cushions that are there for you in times of where you want to initiate a change or the universal boot comes your way and the choice is taken away from you, but you're not also licking your wounds about that, but then also going, how am I going to pay the bills? And I think that I don't like it when people use that as an excuse to not do what they actually really are passionate about. And that's why I want people to talk about it. I want people to be more sensible with their money and to just become a bit more curious about what's going on with them and money and how they can use it more uh, as a more empowered kind of tool rather than this tyrant that keeps them trapped doing something they don't love. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think just to echo that, the last sort of year and a half, I've just been really hot on relationships. Like everything in life is about relationships. Mm-hmm. And that that is one of the reasons why I wrote The Social Rebellion because it was about my relationship with alcohol. Yep. But having a relationship with, your, with money is a really important thing to nut down and figure out. And if you have to articulate your relationship with money like it was a human being, yep. is that a friendship that you want to be in? Mm-hmm. Is that an abusive relationship that you need to redefine let go of and that might be a really interesting way for people to approach how they really do feel about money and I think it's easier to feel it's easier to articulate how you feel about money when you have lots of it I Mm -hmm. think like money's fine it's not an issue for me at all because you've got millions of dollars but the day that you wake up and you have zero it's a really different thing and so because I've been through that I know how that looks and feels I'm good with what I do now and I don't do it to cash the checks. I do it because it brings me joy because I'd rather be happy and really comfortable and living a chilled out conservative life and not getting my nails done every week (laughs) than doing stuff so that I can fund this lifestyle that I'm projecting onto everybody else. Yeah, and there was a phrase I heard a few years ago that has stayed with me about that the, the true poor are uh, people who actually earn massive salaries but still live beyond their means. And yeah. I think that happens quite a lot because of exactly what you just said where people feel like I've got this certain job or, or whatever and therefore I have to project a lifestyle that's appropriate. So they buy a that's bigger it. house, they buy that's a it. flashier car, they all of that stuff and it's just like really, does, is that actually what you want or are you just doing it as part of the facade of this life? That's right. So tell me about The Social Rebellion. I feel like a terrible podcast host because I have not read the book yet, uh, but it's it's on the list. No, but tell me. 
Okay, so the social rebellion is my journey of why I decided to stop drinking. I haven't had a drink for over three and a half years now and I used to drink a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So it's the journey of how I got to the point where I realised I wanted to redefine my relationship with alcohol and the steps that I took to do that and the benefits that I have had in my life since doing that. So I've articulated it in the book by sharing my story but also sharing red flags that people can look out for if they think maybe they're drinking a little bit too much, a little bit too often or they can't fathom a week without just one glass of wine or I think that these are really common things and it's not about judgment. It's just about defining where you are so that you can redefine it to be in a better place. So there's also a 31-day blueprint in there of Um, how I did my first 31 days without alcohol and initially it was just the first 31 days I was like I'm going to quit for one month and then I'm going to you know let it sort of pepper back into my social life and I'm going to have a better handle on things but Uh the transformation that I went through and the clarity that I found I never wanted to lose so I just don't drink anymore yeah and how have other people responded like when you uh, I guess you know it was it was it was like a New Year's resolution, really, wasn't it? It was first of January. Is that when you yeah. said did your yeah. first month? So I guess right. that first thing I can imagine a lot of people kind of going, oh yeah, good for you. It's a New Year's resolution, blah blah blah. But as it started to extend beyond that, or maybe it happened before then, what were some of the reactions from people in your life at that stage? Yeah, I mean, close friends and family were super supportive, mm-hmm. um, but I had a lot of resistance from you know work colleagues and people who weren't kind of in my inner sanctum because all they'd ever known is me to go out and have a drink with someone so what what was my problem all of a sudden yeah and I got blamed for being you know a party pooper and a bit of a loser and letting the team down and (sighs) people had some really strong opinions about my decision not to drink alcohol Mm -hmm. and what I've realized now is all that does is it holds a mirror up to them and their response is probably because they're not comfortable with their relationship with alcohol and when you decide something different you ruffle some feathers so initially yeah it was it was a bit hard because I felt like and this is why it's called the social rebellion I felt rebellious I was like man I'm doing the thing that no one is coping with right now (laughs) like I'm at the party not having shots and everyone else is giving me crap for that, but I'm good with my choice. And so I think, you know, after a couple of months, I just got to a point where I was like, I don't even care what you think about my personal choices anymore. I don't want to wake up hungover ever again. And I'm a much better human without it. So I don't even want to take it or leave it. I will just leave it because it is not for me. It's not worth having one day where I'm not going to be my best self or able to show up in the 110% capacity that I want to be able to show up with to do the work that I'm doing now. So it's just not, it's just a no-brainer. But I've found my story has resonated with so many, especially women, especially mums actually, who are yeah. like, but I can't get through a week without a wine because my kids are crazy. Yep. And I'm like, I believe everyone's got the capacity to do life without alcohol. And then if you want to have a cheeky wine on a weekend, go for it. But if you can't get through your life and everything on your plate, which is the sum total of all of your decisions without alcohol, then that's a problem. Yeah. And look, I 
can totally relate to that because I've been in situations before where I never really um, was that big of a drinker until I moved to Sydney and I'm not allocating blame to anybody but with the the, um, friend group and all of that that I have in my life or had in my life for for a stage I if I would have a glass or two, but they were much bigger drinkers than me and they would always want to be partying later into the night than I would. And there was a person in particular that I remember who like often would almost be yelling at me yeah, because I was like, no, I'm having, I'm just going to have a water now or, or no, I'm going to go home now. And it was literally at one point I remember and obviously this is a projection, but I could almost see in his eyes that by somehow me saying I'm not going to have that glass of wine or whatever it was, it was like I was rejecting him or it was a very personal affront to him that I wasn't making the same social choice as he was. And I remember being really surprised by that because of the intensity behind the need for someone else for me to drink and all that is is validation yeah right it's that that is somebody who's going like by you not doing what I want you to do I don't feel like you're going to accept me for who I am Mm -hmm. which is all that person's issue yeah right yep interesting amazing can't wait to read the book thanks so, Maz, for people, I've loved chatting with you. I reckon you and I could probably talk all day. But... I reckon if we had a 24-hour podcast, you and I would be the only two people on it. <laughs> and other people would, like, dip in and out, like telethon or something. they dip in yeah. and dip out and go, oh, no, they're still talking. What are they talking about now? Oh, now they're talking about floral arranging. Oh, now they're talking about, I mean, who knows? Oh, dear. Uh, but I would like uh, you to do the plug zone where let people know that are listening. If someone's listening and they want to find out more about you, they want to find and buy one of your books, how do they connect with you? Where do they go? Okay, so the best place to go is my website, which is thesocialrebellion.com. Mm-hmm. And you can um, see both of the books that I've written there, but there's got a whole bunch of blogs and just fun stuff, all Social Rebellion related and Maz Compton related. And then you can follow at the Social Rebellion on Instagram as well for just updates. Or if you want something a bit refreshing in your feed, that's not a bikini selfie. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Okay, that's where we can go to get the non-bikini selfie. Awesome. And just to finish up, if you, and I guess you might be able to look at various transition points that you have been through in your career. But if you were to think back and and share a piece of advice to someone who's listening who perhaps is in a job that they're not really loving anymore for whatever reason or there's something else that they think they would rather do or they're just ready for a change, what sort of advice would you give them about navigating that change? I think it's a good place to come to is to just acknowledge that like today in your life is the sum total of all of your decisions. So if you aren't happy with that, the only person that can change that is you by making a different choice. Mm. And it really is so simple because life is just decisions and consequences. Yeah. So make a different choice and see how it goes. That would be my advice because I feel like all I've really ever done is make 
I've made some horrendous decisions, but I've made some really great decisions. But every time I felt stuck or unhappy, I took responsibility for that and I made a different choice and then I got a different result. And then if you keep doing that, all of a sudden you go from Filtex Carpets to MTV. (laughs) (laughs) What a perfect place to end this podcast. Thank you so much, Maz. You're an awesome force of nature. I can't wait to just keep watching and enjoying your ride of the ripple effects of awesomeness that you contribute to everyone who is lucky enough to have you in their life. Thank you. Thank you for being the person who's brave enough to explore that unknown territory and, you know, keep going. Thanks so much. Hey, you're pretty awesome too, you know, Chandra. (laughs) FYI. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Transit Lounge. If you liked it, please do me a favour and leave a review so I can keep doing more episodes for you. And come and say hi in the private Facebook group, The Transit Lounge, being CEO you in the business of your life. I really look forward to connecting with you there. And until then, do whatever you can to create a future that you will love through the choices you make today.